Welcome to another episode of ASX Market Goss. For no more than 30 minutes, we're going to dig a little deeper with ASX listed small cap companies, their focus, the future, the highs, the lows, and what is next. Part of the conversation is to get to know our guests at a personal level, their experiences, their mentors, their slips, their slides, their journey, even down to the coffee of choice and life away from the share price and investment decision making. And today's guest is Mark Cooksey. He's the Managing Director and CEO of ABX Group, ASX Code ABX. Mark, appreciate your time. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Um, How's the company travelling? Yeah, we're travelling well. Um, We've got two significant opportunities that we're pursuing. One is uh, rare earth exploration in northern Tasmania. And the other is developing a new process to produce a industrial chemicals from a waste. And so they're both really exciting opportunities and progressing well over the last uh, 12 months. Now, you've been, of course, uh, in this role since since 2022. Um, you came out of another role with a connection to the company. Um, did you come in comfortable knowing that everything was tracking right or did you have to come in and shake the tree a little bit? Uh, no, pretty well comfortable and confident in the in the tracking uh, so I'd left or I joined ABX three years ago out of a career with Rio Tinto and CSIRO yep. and so this and I joined to lead the aluminium fluoride project which was similar in a technical sense in a commercial sense to work I'd done before but being quite different uh, in a small ASX listed company rather than a multinational or, or CSIRO um, and then moving from running that project to running the company 12 months ago, again, well, half of it's the same because that one aluminium fluoride project is half the company. And I'm familiar with rare earths as well. So, um, And I've been involved in the overall strategy along the way. So really just driving forward, continuing with the same strategy. Yeah, Feb 2022 is when you really took on this role. Now, you came in and I've read with interest here, had three priorities, or the highest of your priorities, one being to bring core process uh, into production, the rare earth elements, of course, exploration project, uh, projects as well, and then the bauxite project as well up there in Queensland, far north Queensland. Have you been able to make moves on all three since coming into that role, um, and some more so than others? Yeah, I think we, we've advanced all three and creating more value in ABX for all three. So... Uh, on the rare earths, we've done um, more exploration and more metallurgy to demonstrate the prospectiveness of our project in Tasmania. On the Alcor aluminium fluoride project, we're pursuing uh, the pilot plant program to take the process from the lab and you know, then to pilot into commercial. And on the bauxite, particularly in Queensland, we've uh, been doing the um, you know, environmental engineering studies to progress it from a you know a known resource to uh, turning it into a, an operating project. Is it hard to prioritise? It's because you've got three elements coming at you, and then obviously it splinters out to other elements. Do you sitting on on your own some days and go, okay, we need to do better in this space, or yeah, and 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 do you? How do you go about making one more important or prioritising one more than the other? No, that's an excellent question. And I guess my experience at CSIRO has helped me here. I mean, at CSIRO, you very easily, especially once you've been there a while and at a reasonable uh, senior level, an enormous number of opportunities trying to prioritise them. And so I've applied the same approach here. I literally pretty organised. I've got a spreadsheet with uh, over 100 uh you know, thing not tasks, so high level things I have to look at, and I and I have a system for 
prioritizing. And yes, you know, there's rare earths, there's aluminium fluoride, there's bauxite. And how do I um, judge the relative priority? And a lot of it also then is a function of the team. So really what I try and do is say, well, what, what does the team have and where is the gap? And either can I get someone else to fill that gap or do I have to fill that gap? Um, so, and that changes with time as we bring new people in or things change. So, but absolutely, it's, I'd say it's a, a critical part of my role with prioritisation. For, for the layman and, and for myself, so we talk bauxite, we talk of aluminium fluoride and we talk of rare earth. Are they three absolute different areas in the industry and the company or can you find some similarities or links somewhere along the line? Um, they, look, they're more, they're more separate than similar. So there's, we started with the bauxite yep. and there's logic to how that led to the aluminium fluoride project and how that led to the rare earth exploration. But fundamentally, there are three different things, you know, three different markets, um, three different, you know, the, the technical side is different. Now, there's some, some similarities somewhere. So, for example, you know, exploration, of course, whether that's bauxite or rare earth, there's some similarities and you know, the bauxite and the aluminium fluoride both play into the aluminium sector, so there's similarities on the customers. But by and large, we treat them separately and evaluate them on their own merits. And you know, we don't, you know, we're very clear about, okay, we've raised this funding to do this, and that's what we use it for. We're not, and if any of them, if any of them, you know, said, actually, these are a bad idea, we'd stop it. So, yeah, they're more separate than the same. So you're not raising funds to say, oh, let's focus on the aluminium fluoride. And you say, oh, gee, but we need some money to go down the rare earth. You, you, you have to separate them all and they've got their own budgets, so you've got their own approaches and you've got to make that quite clear to, to your uh, investors and shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's because it's in some ways we're, a, like, we're sort of like a conglomerate but we're really small. Like we're, so it's a, you can question whether you know, maybe we should just have one thing. Um, I actually think all these three are good opportunities, um, but but you've got to be very rigorous and ruthless about continuing to evaluate them. So yeah, not not being uh, lazy and saying, oh, let's just keep spending some money on that because we're doing it. Um, yeah, we're, we're very rigorous about it. Yeah, and you've got to make some tough calls and those calls may still come, but judging by what you're saying right now, you're pretty confident you're tracking okay. So, Mark, you've worked with Rio Tinto and CSIRO, and what was the attraction and how do you feel now going into a smaller company like this uh, in regards to um, ASX, a listed small cap company like this? I mean, how's the change and how have you gone about it? Well, fundamentally, it's great. Uh, not, <laughs> not, I mean, Rio Tinto and CSIRO were great. You know, I learned a lot, um, both technically and, and you know, how to work with other people and, and the range of skills you need, you know, it's technical and commercial and legal and all those things. But once you've got, you know, 20 plus years of experience, you get to the point where you go, I want to make the call. Um, and in a big organisation, there's so many levels of decision-making. So it's been invigorating now being you know, the CEO and an MD with a really great board where I say, here's the situation, here's the options, here's what I think we should do and here's the you know, the upside and here's the risks. The board asks good questions, you know, challenges me, makes some suggestions, and then we go and do it. Um, so the principles of working with other people are the same, but it is, it is easier in a smaller organisation uh, to make decisions and, and take action. Mark, 
bit about yourself in regards to your role. You talked about, you know, a CEO and a, a managing director. What's the difference? Yeah, a good question. In fact, I coincidentally have just done the Australian Company Directors course um, this earlier this year, uh, where that's a big focus. So CEO is about, um, you know, making decisions and taking action. Uh, a director is more about managing the overall risk to the organisation. So, um, and, and the decision-making is quite different. You know, as a CEO... You know, you make the decision, you're accountable. As a director, uh, you give input to decisions, but it's a collective decision-making, uh, you know, legally. So you might, you know, if you have five directors who discuss something and and four of them say, we want to do this, and you think, no, I don't want to do it, um, you're actually still legally liable for that decision. So that's quite a, a, um, quite a difference. Does the managing director answer to the CEO and does the managing director think the CEO does a good job and does the CEO think the managing director does a good job and how different is it to wear those hats? Yeah, it's different um, because, yeah, the CEO has clear authority, can make a decision and take action. The managing director is much more about, or a director is much more about advice, guidance, um, thinking of options. So I do find it oh, not so much challenging, but you've got to keep your eyes open mm. you know, in a board meeting. Mm. Mm. What is your what is your role? I'm very I'm very comfortable with it. I think it works in a small company. I think it's okay. I think same thing in a larger company. I think the both roles get so big that you're better off splitting them, and just it's just more risky on governance, I think. There's a conflict of interest almost. I, I'm intrigued by this, and, and I don't want to muddy the waters or complicate it or make it take it down a path, but I, I'm interested, Do you? Do you? is it as simple as waking up and saying, today I've, I'm going to be the managing director of something, and, to, and okay, I've done that, and now I have to park that, and now I'm going to have to be... And the, the CEO is... Cause I, can, I can't imagine, and you did the course. You said you, that you went off and did that course and actually probably shed some light and gave you some clarity in regards to those roles, or did it, or is it still a very hard thing to decipher? Look, I'm going to be, I, I think the way I perform a CEO role, I think actually had a fair bit of what's important to be a director in it. Now, that may or may not be a good thing. That may be I wasn't, you know, <laughs> I should have been more of a CEO, but I think <laughs> as a CEO I did think about the big picture and the long term quite a lot. And so being a director doesn't change it that much. Um, I'd say most of the time I'm thinking as a CEO yeah. and, and, and the times I'm thinking as a director clearly are in the, in the board meetings and probably also in preparing for the board meetings. I'm pretty focused on, you know, presenting the widest perspective on an issue you know, it's very easy for a CEO to go, right, well, I want to do this, so I'll just present things in this light so that basically the board will support what I want to do. I mean, I'm naturally, I don't know why, it's them, say I'm pretty transparent to say, look, here's what I think we should do, but here are all the risks, which is actually how the board should approach the issue anyway. Gotcha. So for me, it hasn't been that different. But certainly some of the people on the, on the course, they were most of them were executives sort of transitioning to directors and they commented how different they felt it. For me, it didn't. Now, I don't know, maybe I'm just naive, but, but <laughs> it felt okay. Well, I'm sure you're doing inc incredibly well. We're speaking to Mark Cooksey, Managing Director slash 
CEO, ABX Group. Now, this is really simple. I'm really, really going to dumb it down for you for a moment. Why is there? Why is a little X in ABX in the company? <laughs> is that just an attraction point? Well, it comes from. So we, when we listed, we, we listed for exploring for bauxite, and we called ourselves Australian bauxite. Then, as as the alcohol aluminium fluoride project and the rare earths became more important and became the two main focuses of the company, it was like, why are we called Australian bauxite? <laughs> we grappled with. Well, do we give ourselves a completely new name? But we weren't really sure what that should be. Again, maybe we just took the easy way out. I don't know. But thought, well, everyone knows this is ABX. And the B, BX can be bauxite. So capital B, little x. So that's gotcha. why we're yeah. ABX. Clever. Did you have to employ someone to do that? Or did you think no, about it? <laughs> no, no, no. Trash we, it out over a coffee. No, that was, that was a fairly <laughs> quick decision. It <laughs> that was an expedient decision. It's a clever yeah. one. It's actually clever. Look, rare earth is, how do I say this? It seems to be it's the thing now. There's a lot of chat in this industry, in this space, regards to rare earth, wind turbines, smartphones, electric cars, electric vehicles. Um, when did you think rare earth, personally? Well, so personally, um, yes, being in CSIRO, you're exposed to all... When I was in min the minerals division, you're exposed to all minerals and metals. So always knew about rare earths, never, never worked on it in anger. Um, but in the last boom... 2010, CSRO started doing work on rare earths and we had speakers coming in talking about it. So I had a little bit of knowledge. Then, uh, I guess probably two years ago when I was running Alcor Aluminium Fluoride and we were starting to do rare earth exploration, I was keeping my eye on it, more because it was our geologist doing the work and I'm the engineer thinking about the metallurgy. But it was really only, you know, February 2022 then I became CEO and it's like, well, now, now I'm accountable. And then I've really put in the hours to get my head around the, the market. And what are you finding? So first thing, market. Um, you know, there's lots of different rare earths. At the moment, 90% of the value of the market is the four permanent magnet rare earths for the magnets, as you mentioned. You know, my view is the only way that market won't continue to grow significantly is if we abandoned the idea of a renewable economy, pretty unlikely. So you go, it's clear, you know, practically certain the demand's going up. It's also pretty clear the current supply you know, cannot meet it and we need a lot of new supply. At the same time, the number of new people then looking to provide that new supply is enormous. And so my, my very much focus is how do we, well, one, find out where we are on the potential cost curve and two, make sure we're at the point, at the best end of it? Because I think, I, think I'm, I think there's a very, very high chance there'll be new supply. Obviously, to give yourself the best shot, you want to be at the low end of the cost curve. There's clearly not enough room for everybody. So that's the overarching approach I'm taking to the, to the opportunity. In a moment, we're going to talk about all the projects that you're covering off here. Of course, ABX, of course, uh, is the company, and we're talking to Mark Cooksey. Mark, now let's delve into the Mark Cooksey world. Uh, what's the first thing you do when you wake up and know you have to go to work? Uh, many people have sat in the chair and have been a part of ASX Market Goss say, it's emails. First thing they check is emails. They check what the opposition is doing. They check share price, whatever. Are you the same? Are you much of muchness or do you have a different approach to the start? Uh, interesting. Yeah. I'd say the first thing I do is probably check the emails 
Um, I can probably, you know, I almost do that over breakfast. But, you know, first thing I do is basically get children ready for school almost. So <laughs> I'd say by, you know, by 8.30, you know, done all the school stuff. I've checked the emails. Uh, you know, is there anything uh, new or different that I haven't known about? And then actually, I normally do start on something big. So about probably t- f- 10 years ago, I had a leader at CSIRO who challenged me. She said, you know, we're always so busy. And she said, what are you doing big for the nation? You know, that's the role of CSIRO. And I thought, yeah. And I was like, well, I'm trying to do this and that. And she said, yeah, but you need to spend some time on it. I'm like, you know, fair enough. And, you know, what I've realised is it's very easy. You know, there's no, you can't get all the work done. And so if you let it drive you, you will just do little thing after little thing all day. And so what works for me is to plan, and as I mentioned my spreadsheet with more than 100 things on it, what are the big things I need to do? Some of them are urgent, you've got to do them now. Some of them are important, not urgent, but if you don't start them now, you never do them. And I try and block out, you know, it can be two or three hours in the morning. So from typically from nine till 11 or 12, I'll be working on something big and important. And that, you know, one day it could be rare earths, one day it could be books on And it could be technical, you know, it could be I need to read these two papers, these technical stuff and understand, take some notes and understand what the hell's going on. Or it could be I need to work out how to approach this potential customer because, you know, the last conversation went badly and, I need to come up with a new approach. It's it's what are the big that's that's our approach at the start of the day. Yeah, well, I'm it's intriguing and it's uh, it's actually my mind is ticking over about how I <laughs> get through my day and all the other elements in my life. And um, I'm I'm going to use that. I like that. Get the big stuff done. So does that mean you don't sweat the small stuff? Ah, uh, well, I'm I'm certainly comfortable, increasingly comfortable with um, not getting everything done. You know, and, and that's why you know, my, my list of 100 priorities, I'm, you know, I'm only ever looking at the top 20. You know, there's lots. And, and, if I, and if something down there is at uh, 35 and I haven't done it, it's like, well, that's okay. <laughs> if it's there, it's there for a reason at it's, 35. Yeah, it's there, there's something else more important. I mean, and you, I mean, sometimes then you go, well, I just – actually, actually it is, I need to get it done, so I have to work late, really late, and get it done. That's okay. Um, but – Convinced through my experience, if you get the the big important things, dictate success or failure. You know. Incredible. Uh, you talked about uh, getting the, the children off to school. Uh, let's talk about uh, and family importance and the work-life balance in your role. You sound, for the want of a better word, fairly invested in what you do. I think you have to. Mm. Uh, you're ex- you sound like you, well, you've got incredible uh, experience in, in this field and the like. Um what is the work-life balance like for you? Well, it's, not, it's pretty good, basically. And I've been lucky through all the employers I've had um, have been pretty and, – and then the leaders, you know, that I've had have been pretty supportive of work-life balance. So basically I've always had a thing, well, you know, got to get the work done, but if you need to do something personally, you can do it. I work mostly from home now. So our we have an office in Sydney, but I live in Melbourne, so I work from home, which you know, so I started during COVID and discontinuing, which has its own um, challenges, but I sort of work around it. It means um, sometimes I have to pick up a kid from school, sometimes I take them to soccer training, but you can work at night very easily. And again, it's just about saying, well, how many hours do I want to put in? And, you know, which is, you know, it's a fair few, 
and it's what what is the best thing to do with my time in that in that time. Mm. Um, I certainly, you know, I'm actually with CSIRO, I used to have to travel internationally a bit, and you'd lose you'd lose weekends, which I found harder. Luckily, now I don't. I'm not I'm not away on weekends. Um, sometimes I work a bit on the weekends, but not too much. It's more at night. So I feel um, quite connected. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm here in Perth for a few days, but when I get I'm getting an early flight home tomorrow so I can make sure I'm home in time to take my kid to soccer training on, on Thursday afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, now I have to work at night to catch up on stuff, but overall that balance works for me. So that, that being said, and, and Feb 2022 is when you take on this major role, but as you said, you were with, if not about the company prior to that anyway. But so when you talk about COVID coming in, and we've talked about, the, covered that a lot off in the conversations that we've had on this podcast, um, is that have you found that you it's just been just as productive working from home as it was pre-COVID, or do you fo- do you just find you're a healthier, happier mind being able to work out of home? Look, oh, it's, it, well, the hard bit for me to answer that question is that it was the same time I ch- changed from CSIRO yes. to ABX, so the yes. two things happened at the same time, so it's hard to unpick them. I'd say if I was still at CSIRO, I would probably be in the office. Um, three, four days a week. Yep. I think it's important in a large organisation to be present. Um, there's so many things that, com- you know, just relationship building, networking that you need to be present. Uh, we, ABX, like we are literally spread out. We have a couple in Melbourne, you know, one on the south coast of New South Wales, two in Tasmania. So it's sort of no point going to the office. There's no one there anyway. Um, <laughs> do you have an office? We do have one in Sydney, but like literally... We don't use it, basically, you know. It's, it's an it's, address. Yeah, it's an address in a boardroom for <laughs> occasion. So what I, but what I do find is it's important. How do you create, um, you know, there is a risk that you don't have connection. So I, I try to, you know, we have a monthly meeting with everybody and, you know, I, and I schedule, actually, you know, we're talking to each other individually on a needs basis, but I also schedule one-on-one discussions with my staff, you know, once, probably each person is probably once every six weeks, but... Just to make sure we talk about the stuff that otherwise we won't talk about. Let's rattle off a couple of quick fire questions, quick fire answers, and then we'll wrap it up with with the projects and where they where they sit right now. And we're we're doing this early May, this sit down chat. Um, coffee of choice. Are you a coffee drinker? Uh, Coke, no sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't drink coffee much. I have a long black if I do, but uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a soft drink addict. That's okay. my thing. Uh, any interests away from work and a side of family, sport, movies, cycling? Yeah, look, I guess it's 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 certainly sport. So I played I played soccer myself for a long time. Um, now I was into an adult. Um, played a lot of golf for her, for I had kids. Played touch rugby still, um, whilst uh, children. Um, you know, a decent amount of watching sport, and now actually, you know, now it ends up being you know, kids' sport. Yeah, but yeah, I think sports the main. Oh, and also, um, I think you know, politics and reading. I'm, mean, I'm certainly interested in the wider world, both from just a, you know, personal perspective and its influence on, on, on business as well. Are you a Netflix watcher? Do you, are you watch anything? Yeah, I'm, and I'm more of a reader. Yeah, I'm more of a reader. Yeah, like oh, you know, right now I'm reading a book about the history of sort of land ownership. Um, across the world and just how, you know, how much that dominates um, society, you know, whether that's in the US or England and the history of how it came about, you know, through, you know, 
couple of people ploughing different directions on a plot of land and eventually a fence comes up and then there's titles and how does that work? So that's you know, just the latest book I'm reading. All right. Uh, in a moment, we're going to so-called what we could describe as pitch to the listener, possible future investors and people listening to, to the future of ABX, of course. Tell us a bit about Tassie. How is it tracking at the moment? Where, where are you at that, and where, where is that in the short, mid and, and long term? Yeah, so rare earths, um, as I said, the market demand's clearly there. Uh, we've looked for rare earths and we found them in Tasmania and lots of other people have looked for rare earths elsewhere and found them. So what really matters is where are you on the cost curve? So what dictates cost is, you know, the grade and then the metallurgy uh, and how much you've got of it. And what's becoming apparent with these rare earths, these type, we're looking at these clay-hosted rare earths, is the metallurgy is critically important. Subtle differences in metallurgy really look like they can turn a project from being you know, it can, can double the production cost. So you go from being, you know, at the low end of the pros, of the cost curve, you know, with a profit margin through to, you know, your chemicals cost is more than the value of the product. So our work this year is sort of threefold. It's more drilling to expand our resource. It's more metallurgy to both understand um, our production cost or the, what goes into the calculating the production cost and try to improve it. Um, actual studies to estimate and calculate the production cost, and then discussions with the customers. Again, the whole thing is you need someone to buy it from you. It's all very well and good to say, well, the, there's a big market, but what are you going to produce and who is going to buy it from? So we're, we're pursuing all of those, and a bit like talking about risk, you know, I'm constantly saying, what could kill this project? And that's our biggest uncertainty or unknown. Okay, I'll spend more of my time and more of my company's time addressing that. Aluminium fluoride, where are we at? Yeah, so this was an interesting one. You know, we're the only people in the world doing this through some unique circumstances where you need aluminium fluoride to make aluminium metal. It's an additive. It's a bit like AdBlue for diesel. Uh, we heard a couple of years ago when suddenly, <laughs> what is this? We've never heard of this thing, but if we don't have it, we can't make diesel. It's a bit like that for aluminium smelting. Australia, you know, we're still number five in the world for producing aluminium metal, but we're the largest region without producing our own aluminium fluoride. We import all of it. So we want to make it here, but the fluorine component is the expensive bit and we don't make, we don't mine um, floor spar, which is where fluorine comes from, and we don't make hydrogen fluoride. And what we've identified is an opportunity to take a waste from the aluminium smelting process, which is 50% fluorine, and turn that back into aluminium fluoride, which they will buy from us. So it's a perfect circular economy. We've shown that it works in the lab, principle you know the chemistry and so right now the 100% focus is building a pilot plant to do it at scale so this is pretty significant sort of a 30 meter by 30 meter area and that's that design is uh, you know actually of a of a process and reactor design that looks like what the full scale would do so you can go yes okay not only does the chemistry work but the engineering side you know you can get the materials into the reactor and get them out and you don't you know, things don't corrode away to nothing. And uh, so the, we'll build that this year, run it early next year, and then it'll be about raising the money to build a commercial plant, in Ta ironically, in Tasmania as well. And tell us about Sunrise Bauxite Project. Yeah, so that one, um, it's a good resource, a good quality resource. 
uh, a year ago we signed a JV with an Indian partner for them to finance the, the remainder of the development in return for them getting a 49% share of the project. So over the last 12 months, it's been about doing the, the, the engineering and environmental approval studies, which is going, you know, going steadily, uh, working with our partner to make sure we can get, again, the customer, you know, signing up customers and getting the financing to actually continue you know, with the development. At the moment, our plan is to be producing in first half 2025. So there's still some time there, but we're making steady progress. So the last thing we need you to do, Mark Cooksey, is pitch, pitch the collective to prospective investors and people listening to this podcast. We are an excellent, you know, value investing opportunity because we only pursue really good quality opportunities, and 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 all all of the ones we are are that now. Um, you know, they stack up well commercially, technically. We've got a really strong team. We've got the combination of the geology and the engineering, which a lot of others don't. I think it's a real strength. And we're prepared, we're prepared to make you know, unpalatable decisions to look after shareholder money. So as I said, seriously, if one of our projects looked like, oh my God, we found a showstopper, we would stop it and say, we are better using your money you know, for this project. That's, that's why, you know, I, we will look after your money very well. Well, I've enjoyed our chat and I am going to start, as of today, I'm going to start doing the big stuff first and focusing on that. I think that's the one really massive takeaway from it doesn't have to be about this mining space at all. It's about life and making those big decisions and getting the big stuff done early on in the day and focusing on that. Appreciate you spending some time with us. We got a lot out of it and I'm sure our listeners have too. Thanks, Tim. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the discussion. All. Mark Cooksey is, has been our guest here on the ASX Market Podcast. Of course, ABX, it's a little X if you want to have a look at how they do it. And of course, the ASX code is ABX. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Mark. Make sure you tune in to the next edition when I'll be providing you with another rare insight into an executive leading one of the companies you might be in, invested in to get the goss on what makes them tick and why they do what they do. ASX Market Goss is available on a number of platforms, not just the one that you're listening to right now. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, of course, iTunes, Facebook, also Twitter, LinkedIn, and rss.com. Like us, share us, and let everyone know about the ASX Market Goss. Until next time. The content of this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not personal financial product advice. It does not address the circumstances of any individual or entity. You should not construe any of this information or other part of the material as legal, tax, investment, financial or other professional advice. ASX Market Goss and its employees are not financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation or other advice to check how any information relates to your unique circumstances. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by ASX Market Goss or any third party to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction.